0: when I'm facing those scenarios and I don't judge it how other people do it because again, we're all wired differently. We all came to this place from different experiences that make us who we are and I, little mini rant, I get tired of trying to tell other people how to live. Mm. <laughs> like, if you want to approach it from a, from a perspective of, you know, this is what it's got to be and I'm not compromising, I'm going to keep pushing this, then do that yeah, because, because that's it, what you're supposed to do. Yeah. All of these different efforts, it's not about any one of them being right, it's about the fact that they're all happening. Yeah. Because then stuff happens when we all do our little parts and pieces.
1: This is the 40 Lessons Podcast. My name is Todd B. Waldo. Thank you so much for checking out another episode of 40 Lessons. This is episode 47. And we are continuing our conversations with some really cool people and dope people here in Richmond, Virginia. Today, you get to hear my conversation with James Warren. He is the founder and CEO of Share More Stories. He's also the vice president of brand strategy at JMI. And it's, look, it was just a good time. It was just good to just sit and just talk. I always appreciate time with James. Um, and so I'm glad that I was able to get him on the podcast and share this with all of you here on 40 lessons. James is also on the board of directors for bridge park. So after my conversation with James, I got to tell you a little bit about the Richmond big bridge park foundation, this bridge park project. So you can learn more about that, but let's get it started. Now, James Warren right here on the 40 lessons podcast. I am hanging out once again at gather and I'm across the table from a brother who, when I first met him, his presence was overwhelming to me. Cause you tall, (laughs) like you, you, you not short, you, you have a commanding presence. Um, but you're just, you were, you were very gentle and kind and, and just smart and innovative. And so you hit me pretty, pretty much on the head. Like that's, that's the brother I need to know. So
0: I felt the same way.
1: Uh, James Warren is here. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you for jumping on the podcast with me. Um, this is what's funny. So we met because of the TEDx RBA stuff. Yeah. You were deep in it. Yeah. So uh, so were you. <laughs> in the most literal sense. You were in it, behind it, in front of it. All around. Um, but hit like I we just started like all the way there. Yeah. Like we did. Hey, what's up? How are you? Okay, so let's talk about how we're gonna make this place different. Yeah. Let's talk about life. Let's talk about relationships and kids and being black men and all. We just kind of went straight there. Yeah. Um. So like, I, this is cool because like I I know a little bit of your backstory, but not not a lot of it. Yeah. So I'm gonna learn some things while cool. we we sit and talk. But I'm curious about. Um, you have your hand in a number of things. Um, the stuff that you're doing right now. Um, where you're kind of spending your effort and energy, um, which of them have, like, where's the center of gravity for you right now? Like, when you think about, you know, you've got, you're a family man, you're part of two really good businesses and kind of, and you, one you've kind of shaped and crafted yourself and you're partnered with uh, one of our great leaders in the community. Like, do you know the center for you right now? Like, what's the thing that's kind of pulling you? Like, is is the family the pull? Is like, man, I just want to be home with my babies. Or, like, nah, man, I'm really excited about share more stories. And with that, like, what's the, like, where are you now today? What's, what's no, the pull a, for you? It's a great question.
0: I think for me, the pull, um, the center is I've been so refocusing on why I'm here. Mm. And the answer to that question is always unfolding, of course. Yeah. We don't, I don't think we ever, in my experience, get to a definitive answer and then we stop asking it. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, the purpose, I would say very broadly, has always been about helping people reach their fullest potential. Mm -hmm. And I learned that lesson in a really funny way, which maybe we'll get into. So I think about that in a very holistic way. I think about it for myself. I think about it for my family. I think about it for the team at JMI, for the team at Share More Stories. I think about it for the community. Mm -hmm. It, It really is about potential. Potential excites me. It motivates me. It it gives me a sense of drive. Yeah. But it also allows me to realize that it's not all going to be done right away. So when Mm -hmm. the day is over, I I put my head on the pillow with peace. Yeah. I do a lot of writing at home to sort of reflect on like future dreams, Mm -hmm. you know, our dream states, you know, where do I want to be? Mm -hmm. Where do I want this thing to be? And then I let it go. And it's for me that sort of iterative process of going out, living, doing things, Mm -hmm making some progress, making some mistakes, not getting everything right, um, but trying to, or at least intending to, and then going home. And home is really about sanctuary for me. Mm -hmm. Home is like, I want as much peace as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, when you have a couple of little ones like I do who are very active, peace is a relative thing. Um, But I have a wonderful, wonderful family. I've been really, really blessed. I have two older boys, Mm -hmm. um, older men now. And my wife and I have two little ones and that has given me a lot of additional
1: purpose to be the best person I can be for them. You're, you have a really good practice in your life. Uh, I've always appreciated your, your balance. So whenever, whenever you and I talk, we will like, we'll talk about work. We'll talk about community, but we will talk about our families and what that's like to, um, like I remember we talked about one of your sons and like, how do you support him being a, a young man, making decisions? He was like, I can't do that for you. Like, you got to figure that out. Yeah. And then raising young ones and what that, yeah. that's a completely different set of challenges. Um, but I think you have that balance. Yeah. What, you had to learn that though. Like, you just didn't do that. Like, was that you failed enough and not having the balance that You said, okay, no more, I have to live differently. Or has that been something you've, growing in and kind of mastered over time like what was the how did you get to the place where now you can actually live your life hmm. that deliberately hmm. that purposefully and that balanced
0: well i think it's a few things um my mom she's not she's not with us anymore she passed away a few years ago mm-hmm. um, my mom has been the she was a driving force in my life yeah i i really do think i learned most of the things i've learned that are good things um that were learned more or less the easier way by by seeing a positive role model mm-hmm. came from her. Yeah, I learned quite a few lessons on my own in terms of mistakes, <laughs> like we all do. That's right. Um,
1: we learn best by bumping our head against the wall some, sometimes.
0: <laughs> so I think the balance piece—it's um, a little hard for me to answer because on one level I feel like my love, my sort of protectiveness, almost to a fault of a family, mm-hmm. forces a little bit of a moat around that. Like I want to, I'm. Probably in a in a way, I was almost driven like i've got to be a great father, and that was yeah. probably the mistake part was thinking I had to be this perfect parent, this perfect father, which I was not right um, and i I'm also in this same journey learning how to live with past mistakes mm-hmm. and not let them consume me because it's easy for me to to live in regret yeah and so I think through a through a series of events, through a series of experiences when my mom was still here and then when she was gone, and really learning to sort of almost live without her, mm-hmm. you know, some might say I was a mama's boy. I guess I was. Mm-hmm. I'm not ashamed to say it. Yeah. Um, so when she was gone, that hit hard yeah. on a lot of levels. It just hit hard. It was it was hard and sad for her to not maybe see me fix some of the mistakes I'd made. Mm-hmm. It was hard not having her when my older son and I were going through some friction. Mm-hmm. And you know, my dad died a long time ago. So there was it was really tough yeah. to figure out how to navigate yeah. that. And I think, thank God, the, the desire to preserve, to have to have loving relationships with our family. And you say, Well, that's obvious, but it's not. Because A, sometimes love takes work. Yeah. And B, I know plenty of families where everybody doesn't have a loving relationship. Yeah. I wanted so badly to, for my kids to be able to look back at their lives and say, My dad was a part of my life. He was a good part of my life. He mm-hmm. was here. He was present. That's I think those factors helped me get to a place with a little bit of maturity because you yeah. know it can be said sometimes we don't figure stuff out. Till we're in our forties anyway.
1: <laughs> there, uh, there, there is something to being this age. Yes, uh, and I think life can teach you if you allow it. Yeah, uh, and it seems like you have, which is great. Um, the 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 place in your in your mind and in your heart where you had to figure out fatherhood. Mm. Um, now you had a wonderful mother who cared for you and loved you and so you knew what that was like. Your your decision that I have to be perfect as a, as a dad, whatever that meant, uh, how much of that was because dad was not there and you, you had to do it in a way that you just thought was right? Like how much of your dad's absence from your life influenced that decision?
0: I'd say a lot, and that is something I've been coming to terms with in layers as I've gotten mm-hmm. older. Um, that is something I'm realizing and learning in real time, parenting mm-hmm. three boys, two who are young men, one mm-hmm. who's a, who's you know six, and a young daughter. Like I'm learning, I'm realizing or re-remembering things from mm-hmm. my youth and childhood that I did not, I was not conscious of even five years ago, or yeah. even 10 years ago. So I do think in my situation, uh, my father's absence in my life was a very difficult thing to navigate when I was younger. I was a, I would say, an irresponsible young man, mm-hmm. and my mother and I, you know, we had strife because mom was a preacher, and I was a young man who didn't want to be <laughs> a, a preacher's son, and you, all that that goes goes along with that. Yes, you a PK. Yes, I'm a PK. Yeah. So, you know, I think my mother thought she had to be both a mother and a father. Yeah. And if she were here today, she'd tell you when she finally realized that was not her job, her job was not to replace my father. Her job Mm -hmm. was not to be also my father. Her job was just to be my mother. If she would tell you that there was one mistake she made in her parenting, it was that. Because once she let go of that, it freed her up to really live her life and be the woman that she was supposed to be, which Mm -hmm. was... Gwendolyn Sims Warren, who is these other things, who happens to also be mother to Maya and Jimmy. I yeah. just said Jimmy because, yeah, that's what I grew up with, Jimmy. <laughs> so you did just learn something that I wasn't planning on telling you. <laughs> but, any secrets. Who, secrets, new facts, yes. So I think for a long time I labored under a created definition, yeah. just, just an imagined one of what it would mean to be a good father. And, like, You look back and you know i don't want to make it sound like one of those stories of oh there was no dad in the home so this that and the other happened because i also don't feel like that was my life right i just felt like i was very headstrong you know i did not know through my own experience what it was like to have a father ever present in Mm -hmm. my life i knew i had a father we had a relationship he just wasn't around and then he passed away early Mm -hmm. so a lot of those things there it's, it's funny to find out the balance of both nature and nurture when it comes to parenting Mm because there are some things that just come to you and then there are a lot of things that should be taught yeah, or at least role modeled for you Mm -hmm. and I did not I also feel like sometimes we don't do enough when we have the opportunity when we have the ability to seek out our own role models we don't always have that and not everybody has that opportunity Mm because that's a form of privilege but when we do and we don't take advantage of those opportunities to say hey I could do better at this Mm -hmm. let me go find out how I just lived with this made up idea of it I didn't actually validate it I didn't go ask Older men, male relatives in my life, to say, "Hey, how did you navigate this? So how yeah. could I be? How could I do a better job of this?" So I think some of that was really driven by him not being there, and then self-created pressure mm-hmm. to be something
1: yeah.
0: with no anchoring, no mooring, just something that I thought I needed to be yeah. as a father.
1: Yeah. Are you free now? Are you yes. free just to live and exist? And
0: I am. There's moments and where and
1: just do it your way.
0: There's moments when it comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and if I'm honest, there are times when I feel a little afraid that something I've said or done as a father has had an impact on them mm-hmm. that I would regret. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember a, a, an old coworker of mine, he passed away from a, um, I think he had an aneurysm, and he was the epitome of a wise, gentle soul. Mm-hmm. You know, strong, st- strong in character man, um, but very gentle. Mm-hmm. And... We were sitting at some off-site meeting at the lunch, you know, having lunch. Mm -hmm. And as I used to be accustomed to doing, I was, you know, conspiratorially complaining about, you know, my kids won't listen. (laughs) And you know, I was frustrated. And he said, you know, the one thing to keep in mind, James, is they remember everything you tell them. They remember everything you say the mm. good and the bad and the, the bad sticks with them. the good sticks with them in terms mm. of shaping them but the bad hurts for a long time and he he relayed a story to me of a time he said something to his daughter out of anger mm. that he could not he could still not forgive himself to that day and it had yeah. been a decade or more and I have one or two of those memories and i I know I have been forgiven I've asked for forgiveness mm-hmm. I think I've on the whole been a been a pretty good dad yeah. But there were a couple of those times, and I'm like, man, I just hope I didn't do that thing or say that thing. Mm-hmm. That you know, years later, one of my sons is going to be like, you know, when you said this, mm-hmm. it hurt me, and it changed the way I I was. Mm-hmm. I don't want that to be the case. So,
1: did you? your, I don't know if you had to do this. I had to do this. Uh, so, my dad passed away when I was a child. Um, I I had to reconcile some things as a grown man, like 35. Years old, uh, at his gravesite. So this is some things that I had to sort out and forgive him for doing, just so I could be free and live in, in that forgiveness of things that happened when I was a kid. Um, was there anything you had to reconcile with your with your dad? So you guys just weren't close. Yeah, you had a relationship. A, there
0: was a lot to reconcile with my dad. So um, to go back, my dad was a broken genius. Hmm. I mean, this man was absolutely brilliant on every level. Mm-hmm. And he had a fascinating story where he grew up in a house where for, um, really until he was an adult, he had no idea that this man who was abusive, who um, was just from all accounts, a not a good person to be living under the same roof with, he thought that person was his father. and turned mm. out it was not his father. Mm. It was his stepfather. And wow. he didn't find this out till years later. I remember it was a family reunion, and he was in his 40s. There we go with that 40s <laughs> thing again. And I remember that was the first time I ever remember seeing my father cry. Wow. But go all the way back to when I was little. He was, um, one day he had come home. This was obviously before I was born. He was a teenager. He had come home. He grew up in Philly. Okay. He had come home from a night out. He missed his curfew by a minute. All the lights are out in the house. And this father, I don't even like using the word, mm-hmm. jumped him from behind the door, dragged him down to the basement, and locked him in a steamer trunk as punishment for oh, being a minute late from his curfew. And you know, he grew up as a result with a tremendous amount of resentment and pain, even yeah. to his mom. Yeah. Because he was like, how can you, yeah, you let this happen? Me. Yeah. And, of course, as you become an adult, you realize that the other people in that household are also victims. Mm-hmm. So one day, his mom and his aunt put him in a car, and they drove from Philly down to Baltimore. Mm. And they drove to Morgan State. And they said, hey, what do you think about this place? He's like, it's kind of cool. They're like, good, because you're going to be living here for the next four years. Don't come home. Mm. It saved money, hidden money so that he could go to college and get away from wow. Philly. So think about that as his beginning. Yeah. I'm not making excuses for him. He had a very interesting start to his mm-hmm. life. Um, you know, After school, he was working for you know companies like DuPont, and he joined the Air Force mm-hmm. and did science work for the Air Force. And um, then he went back to school and got a medical degree, and right around then is when he and my mom met. Mm-hmm. And... I think they had a fairly almost like whirlwind romance. My mother was an opera singer before she was a minister and he was a doctor and wow. you know I got pictures of her in like a full length like almost kente cloth dress with a with a fur wrap stole. <laughs> it's like <laughs> mom was she was fly. Yeah, she was fly <laughs> with an afro, you know. Yeah. Um light at, light eyeshadow and some white you know, patent leather heels I was like okay mom <laughs> I it and dad was rocking a black turtleneck you know straight up yeah. know, black panther style <laughs> long long side uh, sideburns yeah. so they um they had my sister and me and you know early on there were things that you could tell were just not right mm-hmm. he was an alcoholic and he was an abuser and those things still come at me in sort of waves mm-hmm. like little memories of scenes of things that he mm-hmm. did to her, to my mother. Um, and then the, the amount of grief you feel not being able to protect your mother yeah. or your sister. Mm-hmm. So those were things that I had to really come to terms with. He was always, maybe this is where a little bit of this potential thing comes from, because he was always chasing, trying to get, he was trying to make himself better. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like he would have a glimpse of, I can be a better version of this. Mm-hmm. And he would, re, he would redo everything in his life to try to get to that little place. So he'd yeah. pick the family up and move and say, we gotta start over. And we moved to Michigan where he could start, because uh, we grew up in New York, and we, mm-hmm. moved, we moved to Michigan where he started a private practice and his alcoholism got the best of him. Mm. He was also a gambler. So he gambled away the house, Jeez. the whole house.
1: Yeah,
0: Came home and said, we gotta move. So those are the things mm-hmm. that I look back and I've had such a, Jagged upbringing, mm-hmm. like moments of absolute normalcy, mm-hmm. you know, American life normalcy. Yeah. Plenty of those moments, and I've had other moments where you know, I've been homeless. We've been homeless. Mm-hmm. I've had everything in between. I've known what it means to grow up in a upper middle class family. Mm-hmm. I've known what it means to be broken and broke. Yeah. And so those are the things that, in my traditionalist. Earlier, James' mindset. I was like, Dad, you just—you really did not get these parts of mm. fatherhood right. Mm-hmm. And I'm still in the process of—I—I I believe I have forgiven him. I am still in the process of letting it go mm-hmm. in terms of it affecting me, yeah. because so many of my decisions in what I call the my my middle chapter mm. were about not doing that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Not
0: doing that. Yeah. Not doing me not doing that. Yeah. And when you're living in knots, mm. it's just a bad place. Yeah. You just become so blind to who you're supposed to be. Yeah. So yeah. I think that season, my my thirties and my early 40s were really first I didn't realize I was going through that. I didn't mm-hmm. realize I was unlearning. I didn't realize mm-hmm. I was coming to terms with. But then it finally started to hit home. Yeah. That that's what I was, that's the journey that I'd been on. And that's what I was starting to really become free with. Yeah.
1: One of the things I realized about my dad, he, very similar, alcoholic, you know, drug addict, and those addictions were too much for him, um, ultimately destroyed his body, yep. um, and he was not able to continue living. Uh, my dad had peers. It's like, I remember when I would see my dad and his friends, my uncles, they all kind of did the same thing, hmm. and what my therapist helped me understand for the four years of going to therapy every week, and the you know the group meetings that I went to with these other men.
0: I love therapy, by the way.
1: Pro therapy, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Uh, Help me understand the experience of being black man in Queens, married to my mom, and forties, fifties, sixties. What that does to your image and esteem and worth. I like can't even finish high school. My mom did. Started a career. You know, and she was headstrong and would tell you to your face what she liked and what she didn't. Um, so he had peers that reinforced this behavior of coping and just dealing with what life was. wasn't good, but everybody was doing it. Um, as you think about your life in Richmond and the peer group around mm. you, like the folks who help you, like, James, you good? Yeah. You so good. Your heart good. Mm -hmm. You being a good husband. You being a good dad. Like you good, Mm. as well as man. That was dope. What you did. Hey, how can I help? Like the group around you. Mm -hmm. How much of that is helping to support Mm. you living not in the knots, but being you, living in this freedom. And like, how much is how important is that group of people around you? It
0: is. It is so important. It is so wonderful. And you know, I I don't know how much of these experiences are common for others, but Mm -hmm. I know that. It took a while for me to re embrace friendship, mm-hmm. like real friendship. Yeah, it took a while for me to re embrace friendship with men, mm-hmm. not at the expense of friendship with women. It's always been easy for me to be friends with women. Mm-hmm. There was something, there was some reason that I didn't realize why I was having a hard time being friends with men. Mm. And once I started being more intentional about that, it just—it was all additive. It was all additive and it, and it gave me a sense of brotherhood or things that you did need to be able to talk to somebody who at least had that mm. part of life in common with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that, that community in the most literal sense, we use so many words these days and I always break them down. I'm like, let's just make it very basic and human. Yeah. You know, we have some shared values. We want to live in relation to one another. Mm-hmm. We want to pursue and support one another's hopes and dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, that's community to me. Mm -hmm. and i have been blessed i felt like somebody asked me about how how long i've been in richmond and i said 17 years and they said oh so you know you're here i said yeah and i said um richmond's where i really realized who i was richmond's where i found myself i didn't know that was going to be the case when i moved here i was Mm. 31 Mm -hmm. and richmond has really been the place where i feel like i've unfolded Mm. you know and just become comfortable with who i am in the community in general here, in the community of friends, fellow thinkers, fellow mm-hmm. doers, people I can just go out and have a really good drink with. Um, some of them are parents, some of them are not parents, some of them are black, some of them are white, some of them are everything in between. Yeah. Um, and I love that because I don't like monolithic community. I mm-hmm. like communities of people that are really different and interesting and united by surprising things. Mm-hmm. So, that for me has been huge because it's helped me exactly as you said, stay focused on being me, mm-hmm. being authentically me. Mm-hmm. But that also means being me means being honest about why I'm here, mm-hmm. evaluating things, evaluating decisions through that lens of mm-hmm. why I'm here, forgiving myself and others when I or we don't get it right. Yeah. I, I would not be able to have done anything that may be of worth or value in the past third of my life if it weren't for these kind of people in my life. Yeah. It's been amazing. It's been absolutely amazing to be able to, you know, sometimes you you feel like you're in the moment you're like, "Oh, so this is what it feels like to be to be an adult. Healthy. <laughs> this is adulting. This this feels like healthy, emotionally healthy adulting." Oh, that little scene I saw in that movie, maybe that shit is kind of true. I kind of like this. So, you know, you know maybe. it's not every day. Sure. But it's fun to have those moments where you're like, oh yeah, 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 yeah everything's gonna be all right. Yeah, we're yeah. all grown and we're yeah. having a good time. Yeah,
1: it is. I, I talk about um, a place like Africana. Mm-hmm. Um, so another shout out to Anjali and yes. Africana. Uh, it was one of the early places um, around five years ago. As so we were about to do the multi-day festival for the fifth year, I was like, these are my people. Like to see other, in particular, to see other Black people. Mm-hmm. It was similar to when I went to college, mm-hmm. and there were other smart black kids. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'm not the only one who's a nerd. Like there are other black nerds out here, so mm-hmm. that that felt good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be in rooms like that where you do feel connection and affirmed, um, that gives you that little bit of boost mm-hmm. um, that you need because this stuff's hard. Like it's hard. Adulting's hard, but we're also doing stuff. I love this this thinking about people's potential the community's Mm -hmm. potential and Mm -hmm. realizing Mm -hmm. that potential um from potential to kinetic energy uh (laughs) so you you do that for us um and and tell me how you think a a jmi work share more stories work how does that help people realize potential but also like start to i have it and then see it actually come to fruition yeah
0: um So the story behind Potential goes like this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have some of your same moments about realizations of people like me and being connected to people like me from when I went from high school to college Mm -hmm. because I was one of two black kids in my class, probably five in our schools. went to Mm -hmm. a little little prep school in Manhattan. Um, And when I got to Princeton, there were 300 black people. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) 300 out of 4,000. But I was like, people have complained. I was like, what are y'all complaining (laughs) about? It's
1: 300. Here's the thing. All right, quick aside. So <laughs> the experience of black students at predominantly white universities, mm-hmm. right? And yours is prestigious because it's Princeton, right? <laughs> Whatever. It is. It's still Princeton, you know. Um, but, like, it's, it's so similar, right? Like, I went to visit. I was at um, um, Black Alumni Week at a UVA. and I met some of the students there. And I said, well, tell me what it was like being on campus. Like, it was the same thing at state. And over and over again, there's the experience of creating community yeah. and connection to students to survive and to thrive and yeah. to be your best in a place where you are 2%. 1%. yeah. So that's a very similar lived experience at a predominantly white yeah. university. So you get to Princeton. Which
0: which you still have when you step out into the broader world, especially True. if you are trying to operate at yeah. certain levels of society. Yeah. You will find yourself yeah. usually other. Yeah. Um, in any event. So uh, to, to put it in real terms, probably did one of the Least black things you could do and joined the rowing team <laughs> to the point where my friends would crack jokes. I'd we go out to bars, and be like, You must have played football. And my friends were like, Don't say it, James. Don't say it. I'm like, what? They were like, Don't say it. And I was like, I was Crew. on the rowing team. And people Crew. would be like, What? What? Um, some of the best moments, best memories of my yeah. entire life. Um, so one day, I had not rowed in high school. Mm-hmm. And I remember I got him to the rowing team because I'm walking by the gym and there's a table out with all this cool gear. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, that sweatshirt looks fly. I, <laughs> I need that in my life.
1: This is also how we get credit card trouble?
0: Yeah. I was like, how do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I need that in my life. Freshman orientation week what, yes. with many stupid decisions I made. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I saw that sweatshirt. I was like, how do you get that? They're like, come on down for you know rowing practice. See if, you, see if you're made out of it. Oh, wow. So I was like, all right, cool. So I went down the next day to the boathouse, and all they did was like put us through crazy physical drills. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you come back tomorrow, you know, you're one step closer. Yeah. I guess I had some modicum of pride that said, James, don't quit on the first day. Yeah. So the next day I went back, and then the next day after that. So I got into it, and I really enjoyed it. It was mm-hmm. very, um, it spoke to me in a certain way that nothing else had ever done. Mm-hmm. And I found that I was good at it, and yeah. I was enjoying that. So one day we got off the water. We just had a pretty good practice, and I had a really good practice, and the coach, my coach, all of those coaches were like Olympians. They were mm. world class. Some of my teammates would eventually go to the Olympics, mm-hmm. um, and so we're on the on the dock, and he goes, James, that was a good practice. I was like, thanks. He's like, yeah, you're looking really good out there. I was like, I appreciate that. He's like, yeah, I mean, you know, you could one of these days, you know, you you keep it up, you could be a star in this sport. I said, yeah, thanks, coach. He goes, Yeah, you could you could go to the Olympics. I said, Yeah, I could go to the Olympics. And then by now, like some of the other cats are looking at me like, James, he I've been rowing like my whole life. What's he talking about? And so then he goes, Yeah, that's your potential. I was like, Yeah, yeah, that's my potential. He goes, Yeah, potential means you haven't done it yet. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh. And it it that's the lesson that has stuck with me mm-hmm. forever is that potential is up here. So I drew mm-hmm. a little graph. Mm-hmm. Here's my potential. Yeah. Here's the amount of my potential that's been realized. Yeah. I am always in search of closing that gap. Yeah. How do we close it? Because whatever your potential is, that is, an, that is a relationship to your purpose. It is a relation to your gifts. It is a relation to the things that make you uniquely you. Mm-hmm. And so to not fulfill your potential is to not be all of uniquely you. Yeah. So that's what excites me and makes me happy and makes me feel like I am not only living my best version of myself, but helping other people do that for themselves. Yeah. It's just... Showing them a, a and, and I do a lot of it through visioning. You know, when, mm-hmm. when Ken and I talk, Ken Johnson and I talk at JMI, we talk about success. What's What does success look like to you personally? Mm. What does success look like to this organization? And we start with that and work backwards. Yeah. When we're doing storytelling, it's very, in my brain, that narrative arc makes it easier for me, I guess, to say there is a resolution here. You just haven't, you're in the, you're in the woods right now, but you're going to come out of the woods and mm-hmm. you're going to come out of the woods clearer. You're going to come out of the woods with a new set of tools, a new set of skills that you've developed through your trials, through your difficulty. And that's Mm -hmm. going to help you navigate the next journey back through the woods because that stuff keeps happening. And so that's where potential lives in terms of the work is really helping individuals, organizations, teams, brands, be the best version, the most on purpose version that they can be Mm -hmm. Um, spreading purposefulness, I guess is what you would say is so it's, it's, To me, it's how I can help people Mm -hmm. achieve their potential. So I think a lot about what can be. I think a lot about what can be. And that's where I think some of that dreaming and writing that I do where I write down dreams and I write down aspirations even Mm. if they are way out there because it moves you the further you set that aspiration, if you continue to walk towards it, you are making progress. Mm-hmm. And there was an old Verizon commercial a few years back that I loved. And it was just, the commercial was make progress every day. And I was like, mm, mm-hmm. Verizon coming out here with <laughs> deep thoughts, words to live by. There you go. This is not just yes. an ad, y'all. <laughs> Can you hear me now? You know, <laughs> no, compared to all their other stuff, it's sure. like, mm, y'all need to go back to that moment. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think that's where it shows up for me. And so then it shows up in terms of putting myself in, our teams in conversations in interactions with others who want to re, who want to receive that and also give back who also want to help mm. us be a better version of ourselves yeah. um, and that's alignment so for me purpose potential alignment go go together mm. when you have alignment we don't have to do it the same we don't have to even agree on all the the details if we can agree on this point out here. Mm -hmm. We can approach it from very different places and find alignment. And I think that's some of what is needed to continue to move our community forward, is realizing that there are more things we can be aligned by, that degrees of difference should not be seen as uh, diametric opposition. Degrees of difference are just different opinions about Mm -hmm. how to do the same thing. And that's not supposed to be a problem. So Mm -hmm. the alignment comes from really asking deeply, well, what is it, what is your vision for this? What are you trying to achieve and why are you trying to achieve it? Because if you tell me that, I might find something in there Mm -hmm. that I can connect with. And then I say, well then, hey, then we have alignment at least on that thing, because we both want to do that, so let's go do that. And we don't have to talk about all this stuff we don't see eye to eye on, because that's not true of any two human beings on the planet. None of us see everything the same. I think that's where we get a little tripped up sometimes. Is thinking we have to see everything the same yeah. in order to do something together.
1: What's the is there a is there a limit to that? Like I think about this city, its history, and based upon your understanding of that history, your value of people, uh, we could have very different ideas of what the potential of mm-hmm. Richmond mm-hmm. could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, And Bill and Martin and I had a um, talk about, um, you know, creating space at the Valentine and events and different stuff. And it's like, could we ever have a room? Could we ever curate an experience of people who think the Civil War was right and the Civil War was wrong in the same room and open about their opinions? We have rooms where you have one of those, but rarely and not fighting. not yelling at each other but an actual dialogue and then say given that how do we move forward Mm. so like is there a limit like i agree that there's we have a lot in common and we can have difference of opinion in those things is it just a limit on what that could look like for richmond for us to realize and experience more of this potential that we have to be a better city for hopefully more people the more people have access to that like even but even that is my yeah <laughs> like right. i'm imposing a view of richmond based upon my own set sure. of values
0: well you know you're talking to an optimist so <laughs> sure we can do that but here's here's why i do believe that yeah. because i have practiced empathy i have practiced mm. what it means to bring myself and another person who we don't agree on something known mm-hmm I have brought people together who don't agree on something known. And what I have found extraordinarily joy creating, fulfilling, Mm -hmm. is to to show them. I guarantee you, if you just if we go here, we will find something Mm. that we can relate to. And the relation is the first step towards connection. Mm. And that allows understanding. And sometimes there are things that, you know, not everything is relative. There are some things that are that are at least in my mind's Mm -hmm. eye. Are right and wrong. Yeah. I realize that some of the things that I think are right and wrong might not be the same rights and wrongs that other people have. Mm. That's where it gets tough yeah. because how you feel about your values and your morals are sacred to you. Mm-hmm. And so then what you have to ask yourself is what is that based on? What mm-hmm. is it based on? What experience do I have and what experience do you have that shaped the values and the beliefs mm. that we have? And I'd rather learn more about that. The goal is not for us to agree. Hmm. The goal is for us to accept one another as humans Mm -hmm. in this same space. Because I guarantee you, if you accept me as a human, you disagree with my view on race or my view on on faith or whatever it might be. But if you accept me as a human being, Mm. at a minimum, we are less prone to hurting each other. Mm -hmm. When the minute I no longer see you as other, the minute I I no longer see you as dehuman, but now, see you as fellow human. Yeah. There's certain parts of me that that do feel a need to at least not hurt, mm-hmm. if not if not protect. Yeah, it's the same reason why it's really hard, except for the, the meanest people among us, to look somebody in the face and just start saying mean stuff to them. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to do it behind a keyboard. Yeah, because the human piece gets activated when we're in communion together, when yeah. we're in spaces together. Yeah. So I think when you when you're trying to do something like what you've laid out, it is about bringing people together and focusing less on their opinions, mm-hmm. less on their rhetoric, and just focus on their experiences. Mm-hmm. The fact that you think the Civil War is right and you think the Civil War is wrong, okay, that's the known piece. Mm-hmm. What I really want to understand is, tell me about you know, tell me tell me about a story about how you grew up that really defines who you are. Mm-hmm. Tell me an experience from your childhood that really says, this is the defining thing that happened to me that made me this way. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to hear from you because as you hear those stories, at least for that moment, you could hold space together that you couldn't have held before. Mm -hmm. And that in and of itself is progress. Because if we can hold space together with people that right now we say, I can't even be in the same room with you. I can't be in the same room with you. Okay, progress would be, I can be in the same room with you. And then what happens after you can be in the same room? Maybe you crack a joke about a recipe Maybe you have mm. a moment about getting frustrated about your kids. Mm-hmm. Maybe you actually start to see each other as you're not all that different from me. Mm-hmm. So I know that that can sound a little pat. I don't think that means at all that we don't have to do the work, all of us, um, especially those who find themselves in positions that as we look back at history, yes, you are the beneficiary of, or in some cases, the, the, the folks who maintain or perpetuate mm-hmm. structural inequities, um, Those things need to be addressed in our city, in our society, in our country. And we should all be looking for how do we continue to make progress? Mm -hmm. What does progress look like on a day by day basis? Can I make a little bit more progress today? Is some progress better than no progress? I think the answer to that is always yes. Mm
1: -hmm. If you could, um, if we could peek into your book of dreams and um, things that you imagine. is there a page about Richmond? Like, is there stuff in there that would paint a picture for us of what this place could yes. could be
0: yes. Um, so, <clears throat> I've been writing and reflecting about sort of three things that are just starting to come together in my mind. Mm-hmm. One, um, we, our team, the Share More Stories team in particular, we were really thinking and reflecting on what we've learned, especially over the past year and change, because we we did a lot of things differently Mm -hmm. in 2019 and stepped some things up and stepped some things back. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to kind of reflect on that. And then we we were thinking about the kind of stories that people shared with us last year versus the kind of stories people were sharing with us a few years back. Mm -hmm. And one thing that really kind of stood out that was fascinating to us was more recently the stories that we were seeing and hearing had more joy in them. Even mm. if, even if the topics were painful experiences, there was more joy mm-hmm. and that was really interesting. I was like, "Where's this joy coming from what What is this joy about mm-hmm. And the long and short of it is, I feel very strongly that we are entering a new season of joy, mm. which sometimes sounds a little weird to say, given how things look to people, depending mm-hmm. on your perspective. You mm-hmm. might feel like, no, things are a mess. things are about to get worse. Mm. depends on how you feel but for me, this notion that we were about to enter a new season of joy became very empowering because now I realize I can look at every situation that I'm facing, Richmond can look at every situation that it's facing and say, how do I do this with more joy? Hmm. What would that look like if, mm-hmm. we, if we actually made this idea that there's more joy around the corner come now? Yeah. What if we bring the joy from the future into the present? Hmm. So that was kind of one thing that's been percolating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you know, like many of us, went to Rumors of War yeah. and was blown away. Yeah. Um, and then probably, I think it was the week before that, I'd gone down to Jamestown for the end of the um, the final mm-hmm. um, event of the commemoration, mm-hmm. um, American Evolution. And those two events juxtaposed for me, uh, not juxtaposed, together made me realize like, all of this has been, we've been building, building, mm-hmm. building, building, building. There is momentum occurring. We are having conversations we couldn't have before. Mm-hmm. We are going into places and spaces we didn't mm-hmm. go before. Um, and to be frank, some of that means, for me at least, some of the things that I thought I had to hold on to tightly from an identity standpoint, I can't even let some of that go and just be me, not mm-hmm. be me with labels and boxes. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think what I see for Richmond is joy. I see redemption.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I see reconciliation. Mm -hmm. I see tremendous progress. I see us attracting people who want to be where it is finally happening, where the reconciliation that has been long sought after and long delayed Mm -hmm. in this country, the only place it could and should happen Mm -hmm. is here. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's our destiny as a city hmm. is to usher in a new era of joy of honest reconciliation of authentic dialogue about the past mm-hmm. in order to move forward. Yeah. Um, that's what I actually want to really, really be a part of. I see so many people from all walks of life doing it. And and again, I'm good with the fact that everybody don't want to do it the same way. Mm-hmm. I'm good that some people have very different ideas on how to move that forward. Mm-hmm. But what I care about is that they want to move it forward. Yeah. Um, And and that, in moving it forward, that becomes a shared alignment point. Okay, we both want to move the city forward, so now we can have a conversation about how to do that. Mm -hmm. Your ideas might be different than mine, your starting point might be different than mine, but we both want to move it forward. Let's keep focusing on that. Yeah. Um, So that's what I'm really excited about.
1: Yeah, it's it's a way, it's a good way to always kind of bring us back. Um, Community transformation is exhausting. Yeah. Uh, It took 400 years for us to get here, uh, I I always talk about you know my daughter hopefully solving different problems you know if she's here and living you know her her adult life, um, but your setup your your push helps us to we can come back like we can we can come back to keep moving forward keep finding what's common celebrate the wins celebrate yes you are both in the room that's good that means we're making progress and we're headed towards. Um, a place that's better. And, and I think better doesn't necessarily mean we fixed it all. Absolutely there not. There are incremental things you do along the way.
0: And I think some people get inherently frustrated by better because mm-hmm. they want great or they want at least good.
1: We're done. Like it's, yeah, it's fixed.
0: And sometimes in a given scenario, it is not attainable. Mm. But progress is attainable. Mm-hmm. So when I'm facing those scenarios and I don't judge it how other people do it because again, we're all wired differently. We all came to this place from different experiences that make us who we are. And I, little mini rant, I get tired of us trying to tell other people how to live. Mm. (laughs) Like if you want to approach it from a a perspective of, you know, this is what it's got to be and I'm not compromising, I'm going to keep pushing this, then do that Yeah. because that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. All of these different efforts, it's not about any one of them being right. It's about the fact that they're all happening. Yeah. Because then stuff happens yeah. when we all do our little parts and pieces. And so, you know, better for me is not the enemy of mm-hmm. great. It's a step along the way to great yeah. for me. And I'm glad that others want to go about that challenge and that struggle of of healing this community, of healing the city, of healing this c- this country, and some people say, "Well, what do you mean?" I'm like, "Well, you know, walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, and you'll know what I mean." Mm. But it's okay. It's okay that you approach even that question from a different place than I do. I don't mean it's okay as in, you know, ignorance, bias, structural inequity. I'm not saying those things are okay. They absolutely aren't okay. But I can't expect everybody to be perfectly woke on day zero. Yeah, I know I'm not. I know I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I know it's still a journey for me. None of us knows everything about how to make this better. Mm-hmm. None of us. So we've got to rely on each other. We've got to give each other a little bit of space for the fact that not everybody's at the same point in the journey at the same point in time. And in fact, some people might be on slightly different journeys. The only question I have is, are we going to the same place? Are we going to a better Richmond for all of
1: us? If the answer is that, let's go. I'm down. Yeah. On that, that's a perfect bow to wrap (laughs) on the conversation. Uh, I just appreciate you and your perspective. I always do. Um, And so I'm glad I got to actually record it you put it on the 40 Lessons Podcast. Um, James, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it, bro. Appreciate you. Thanks again to James for jumping on the podcast. Uh, sharemorestories.com so you can check out the work that he's doing there. Also, look up johnsonmarketing.com. To see the work that he's doing with JMI. The spotlight for this episode, Richmond Bridge Park Foundation. Bridge Park is a proposed linear public park in Richmond, that would span the James River and connect the riverfront experience to the city center on both sides of the James. This thing is huge. It's huge. Big transformational idea for what folks want to do for uh, the area around the James River. Uh, includes parts of the Manchester Bridge. It's just it's huge. It's really good. Uh, but I want you to go take a look at it. BridgeParkRVA.com. If you haven't seen this thing, go see it. Go learn more about What They Hope and Aspire Can Happen Here in Richmond, BridgeParkRVA.com. James is one of the board of directors for that, and so I know he's definitely passionate about the things that are happening with Bridge Park Foundation. So go check them out, BridgeParkRVA.com. We've got another episode for you next week as the season continues, and I really hope that you are taking time every single day to take care of yourself. If you need help taking care of yourself, please go get that help. And I hope that we are doing our best to take care of each other, checking on each other, showing love and compassion and empathy to each other. Thanks so much for listening. This is 40 Lessons. My name is Todd B. Waldo, and I will see you here. Come on back next week. 40 Lessons, we're going to do it again. All right, take care of yourselves.